Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. I want to teach with a PowerPoint this morning because we're in a series on the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but we're also baptizing people in water today. So I want to show you the scriptural connection between these two baptisms. And there's, because of this connection, if we study one, we can get insight into the other. There is a, a intimate connection between water baptism and spirit baptism. You can see it in Jesus' life, and you can see it in the, the wording, the formula of baptism in Scripture. So we're going to ask the Lord's blessing on this, that he will grace us to unpack this this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for all that you've accomplished thus far. Now, Lord, instruct us, teach us, feed us. Lord, I ask that you'd stretch us. Lord, I ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Lord, that water baptism would not be a mere formality, but we would realize the prophetic act that becomes a doorway into which we can enter into new things. And Lord, I ask that you would reveal to us the importance of spirit baptism. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, what's the deal with baptism? Okay, I'm going to read through this passage here, and uh, we're, going to, we're going to read through a passage and kind of hang everything on this passage. Luke chapter 3, verse 15, as the people were in expectation and were all questioning in their heart concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, this is John the Baptist, not the Southern Baptist. He's the baptizer. He's John. John is Jesus' uh, cousin. He was, he was filled with the Spirit while still in his mother's womb. So John, it's an interesting thing. John is the fulfillment to a, a prophecy in Isaiah. He is the one who's preparing a way for the Lord. So he's going to prepare the way for his cousin, Jesus. And he does it with a message and a method. The message is repent, and the method is a baptism of repentance. And so John is paving the way. And you see this unique relationship between these two men, even back in their conception. John was conceived miraculously through a mother and father, a mother who was well beyond childbearing years, through a, a word from an angel. And so then when he was six months in his mother's womb, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary. And so John was paving the way. He was, he was paving the way for Jesus. And there was this intimate relationship. And so John now is out in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance. But when he's doing that, he makes this statement. Let's read it again. John answered them when they're asking, are you the Christ? He said, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now let's take that little parenthetical statement out of there. What he's saying is, I baptize you with water, but the one mightier than I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So what John is saying, he is, he is comparing what he does with water with what Jesus will do with the Holy Spirit and fire. 
And with that, John intimately ties these two baptisms together. And what he's telling us is if you can gain insight into what I do, you will begin to understand what Jesus is going to do. So he goes on and he says, His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, in that, he's speaking of this, uh, this uh, uh, tradition that the harvesters would, they'd harvest the grain and then they would crush the outer husk with a large stone wheel to break open that husk so they could get at the grain and then they would sweep the chaff, that outer husk, away. And, and what they would do is they would build what is called a threshing floor in the highest part of the, the harvest field and they would stamp it down with hard clay so that the wind would catch that husk because it was fluff. And it, the wind would catch it and blow it away. And then all that would remain is that which is usable. And so John is using this picture to communicate what, what Jesus is going to do. But he adds an element. He said he's going to burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, that was not a common thing. The farmers were satisfied to just let it blow away, but not Jesus. The fluff, that which is not usable in our life, Jesus wants to come with unquenchable fire and consume it in our life. And that's why he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. It's a purifying fire. It's, it's what the holiness people really emphasize when they are talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and rightly so. They emphasize the internal power to live holy. We as Pentecostals tend to emphasize the external power to be a witness in ministry. And both are valid expressions of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But Jesus said, or John said that Jesus would baptize us with the Holy Spirit and fire. And the purpose of that fire is to consume that which is not usable. And so then he goes on. He said, and so with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. The words there, good news, is really evangelion. It's, it's the word that we translate gospel. So what he's telling us is both water baptism and spirit baptism are part of the gospel. That's why often you'll hear people refer to Pentecostal churches as full gospel churches. Because the baptism in the Holy Spirit is part of the gospel, as is water baptism. Because it's all part of that prophetic symbolism that we see so vividly lived out in Jesus' life, where we go down into the water, symbolizing his crucifixion, his burial, and then come out of the water in resurrection power, and the Spirit of God came upon him. And it's that picture of laying aside the old man, the what we used to be, laying it to rest, coming up, and the Spirit of God coming on us, empowering us to live the Christian life then on. And we're going to believe God to do that this morning when people come out of the water. Right, Katie? Yeah, yeah. Hallelujah. You're going to get touched this morning. Hallelujah. Okay, now, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open. So here we have this vivid picture of what happened when Jesus was baptized. He went down in the water, he came up, and it says the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now, there's three components to this baptism that Jesus experienced. He went down in the water when he came up. Three things happened. There was an open heaven, 
There was the, the, the spirit descending on him like a dove, and there was the voice of fatherly affirmation. The father's love was imparted to him. All three of those are essential elements that we must embrace, we must pursue. We need, we need those desperately. We need an open heaven. With the baptism in the Holy Spirit comes an open heaven. There's a greater uh, activity. Jesus referred to himself as the ladder of Jacob when he spoke to Nathaniel in John chapter 2. He found the young man, Nathaniel, and he said, you will see heaven opened and the, the uh, angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Speaking of himself, he's alluding to Genesis chapter 32 where Jacob had an encounter with God. And in a dream, he has a dream of a ladder resting on the earth, reaching into heaven, the angels ascending and descending upon it, and the Father was standing at the top of the ladder speaking over Jacob, his destiny. Now that is a good encounter. And Jesus says, I'm the ladder. And in his baptism, we have this same terminology. All of a sudden, there's an open heaven. There's heaven's traffic, the angels ascending and descending. There is a lot more that goes on when we are baptized and we go through our Christian traditions. And we're in danger of reducing them to mere uh, symbolism. But I'm here to tell you this morning, there is more involved in both water baptism and spirit baptism than mere symbolism. It is a prophetic act. The difference between a symbolic act and a prophetic act is a symbolic act simply refers to a reality other than itself. But a prophetic act actually activates that reality. Something happens. It's activated through that prophetic act. And water baptism is a prophetic act. And I'm going to show you this from the word this morning. And so we have this open heaven and Jesus' experience of water baptism. Now, there are actually four baptisms spoken about in the New Testament. We're going to, we're going to deal with three of them on a cursory overview. The one we're not even going to deal with this morning. The first one is John's baptism of repentance. Uh, John the Baptist is predated Christian baptism because people weren't Christians yet because the Christ had not yet died. So this is the scenario we just saw. John's out there baptizing people and Jesus presents himself for baptism. And so John's baptism was a baptism of repentance that predated Christian baptism. Now we need to understand that water baptism was not something that John invented. It was not an uncommon practice among many religious rites at a time. But John co-opted that and utilized that to bring them into repentance. And it, it was closely connected with the, the ceremonies of washing in the Old Testament, where they would wash themselves to purify themselves for worship. And so it, it, it alludes to that, that picture. So then we also have the second type of baptism, which is Christian baptism. Christian baptism is where we baptize believers after they've made a profession of faith. Now we need to understand, and this is very important, that when there, there's the, um, I'm going to go fast here. We've got a lot to cover. The, there is a, a, a school or a, a, a arm of theology, if you will, known as hermeneutics. It is the rules of biblical interpretation. Matter of fact, it's not isolated to theology. Hermeneutics can be utilized in any kind of literature, but it's, it's how you interpret ancient texts. And one of the primary principles of hermeneutics is called the law of first mention. 
The idea behind that is the first time something is mentioned in a document crystallizes the definition. And so you have to at least keep the first mention of that term in mind when you're interpreting it throughout the document. Now, it may grow from there, but it always has that foundational uh, understanding unless there's something in the text that tells you it's going to change. So when we look at Christian ba- or, or baptism, when we look at this terminology, the first time we see it show up, we, sh- we see it show up in regards to John baptizing people into repentance. But we have the text, I want to say it's in Matthew chapter 3, where it says the religious rulers showed up. And because John has quite a crowd and people are getting baptized and all of a sudden some of the Pharisees and Sadducees show up to be baptized. And John said, who told you to flee from the wrath to come? He said, bring forth fruit for repentance. What he was saying is, I am not going to baptize you into repentance unless it's already a reality in your life. Because baptism is always something that happens after the fact. Okay? So baptism is always after the fact, whether it is water baptism or fire baptism or spirit baptism. It's always something that's after the fact. Baptism doesn't make you repentance, repentant. Baptism, you are baptized into the repentance that's already an internal reality in your life. And Christian baptism didn't do away with what, the baptism of repentance. It simply built upon it. In John's baptism, we're baptized into repentance. In Christian baptism, we're baptized into Christ's death. But baptism doesn't make you in Christ's death. Salvation does. By faith, we accept the Lord and we're placed in Christ's death. And only those who have been born again and are therefore in Christ's death are then baptized into Christ's death. So therefore, we know from the formula in Scripture, baptism is always after the fact. It's subsequent to the internal reality. It's the external validation of an internal reality, okay? Whether water baptism or spirit baptism. And it's an important point because it's going to give us insight into what baptism in the Spirit means. The third baptism is a baptism of suffering Jesus spoke about. Who wants to sign up for that one? Okay, yeah, we got, we got one. Uh, we're not even going to cover that one. It's largely symbolic. Uh, we don't have time to get into that this morning. The fourth one is the one that John spoke of in regards to Jesus and is brought up in other passages, and that is the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and John adds on to that, and fire. So we have the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, the formula of baptism in the New Testament is always baptism in a substance into an experience. Now hang with me. I know this is not real exciting, but we're going to get to something here. Baptism is always... Oh, sorry. Baptism is... Did I... Could, we, could you click the next screen there? I think my clicker, clicker died. Okay. Oh, did I do that? Okay. Wow. I guess it didn't. It just slowed down. I got to be patient. Okay. The formula of baptism in the New Testament. Got a kind of a tricky thumb there. The formula of baptism in the New Testament is always baptism in a substance into an experience. You are baptized with something for something. We see this terminology in, in uh, did it come up? Yeah. 
Matthew 3.11. Listen to how it says it here. This is the ESV. I baptize you with water for repentance. So you notice, you're with something for something, in a substance, into an experience. He says, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, who is sandal, I'm not worthy to untie. So we're baptized with water for repentance. So baptism is a prophetic act which activates the spiritual reality you have already entered into by faith. This is very important because your spirit baptism is the same. We know that. And matter of fact, if you don't understand that principle, then you will misinterpret a verse that refers to the baptism in the Holy Spirit and has some tremendous treasures in it. But you'll miss what Paul is saying. And there's some tremendous treasure underneath that, but you've got to understand this principle. That baptism is simply a prophetic act that activates a reality you have entered into by faith. Just as faith will bring forth works, that's on the human side, faith will also bring forth experiences or encounters. And that's on the divine side. So your faith will pull you into things, but you, as you believe, you receive those things. Okay, so... Baptism is a prophetic act which activates the spiritual reality you have already entered into by faith. Okay. In John's baptism, we see the formula. In water, into repentance. In Christian baptism, we see in water, into Christ's death. Romans 6, 3 and 4. Paul says, do you not know that we who were baptized were baptized into Christ's death? We were buried with him in baptism that we might also be resurrected with him. And so we see in Jesus' baptism that, that picture of his burial and his resurrection. Now, let's pause there. Because this, this creates a problem in another text. I just told you there are four baptisms uh, mentioned in Scripture. But we go to chapter 4 of Ephesians, and we hear Paul say this. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Well, how can we have one baptism if there's four baptisms? There's a very real sense, and Paul looks at it from this perspective, that each of these baptisms are different phases of the one baptism. And that's why we see in Jesus' life, he went down in the water and up in the spirit, and they're supposed to be simultaneously. Because the picture is, I'm dying to my old man, and I'm coming up in newness of life, empowered by the spirit to live that new life. So water baptism and and spirit baptism in one sense are united into one baptism and you can have one half and not the other. The fact is I was baptized in the spirit before I was baptized in water. I needed to get baptized in water. I needed to bury the old man. Many of you remember Sandra Collier. Miss Sandra, uh, when she got saved, she she, she was going to a Southern Baptist church and she came into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And she began to have encounters. And one day, she had a vision in prayer, and she saw herself carrying around a dead body. And the Lord said, arise and be baptized. And he was telling her, bury that old person you used to be. She had quite a temper. Matter of fact, you ever talk to Quimby and Santa, they have some crazy stories. She came after Quimby with a knife once. 
Yeah, they, you know, it's, it's a fun, it, you wouldn't believe some of the stories. But God sanctified her, but she had to bury that old man. And it's a powerful prophetic symbol that we say, the person I was, I'm going to lay to rest under the watery grave and I'm going to rise to newness of life. In Romans 7, where Paul says, Romans 6, he says, I am crucified, you know, I'm I'm buried with him in baptism. Then in Romans 7, he says, what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do. Who will deliver me from this body of death? You see, he has the promise in Romans 6, but the contradiction in his life in Romans 7. And he cries this verse out, who will deliver me from this body of death? Many scholars believe it's a reference to a Roman form of capital punishment where they would, and under certain circumstances, they would strap you to a dead corpse. Matter of fact, in certain capital crimes, if you, were, if you had murdered someone, at times a judge could sentence you to be tied to the, the corpse of your victim until that rotting corpse simply begins to rot in you and you die because you're connected to it. I don't know. I, It's still a half hour from lunch, so I felt it was safe to share that story. So Paul says, who can deliver me from this body of death? Praise be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Water baptism is a way for us to consciously step into the watery grave and say, I'm going to lay this person to rest. And who I was before I met him is going to be be left under the water and I'm going to come up in newness of life and I'm going to believe God for the impartation of the spirit that now I live in resurrection power. That's the picture. So if we have John's baptism uh, into water, into Christ's death, got Christian baptism in water, into Christ's death, what about spirit baptism? Well, let's look at verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. This is a, a problematic verse. And there's really three different views of this verse in, you know, among scholars today. You're going to hear two of the wrong ones and the one I believe, okay? Uh, there's, there's three different ways to look at this passage. Some believe that this is both salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the reason they believe that is because they don't understand the principle I just told you. That the formula of baptism, it's always after the fact. Water bap- John's baptism didn't make someone repent. And he said, you repent first or up before I put you in the water. We all agree on that? Christian baptism doesn't make you, doesn't place you in Christ's death. You're already there by faith, but it's a prophetic act to activate some of those things. But we only baptize believers. And therefore, spirit baptism, as we see, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. So, whereas, well, let's let's look at this next one. John's baptism is in water into repentance. Christian baptism is in water into Christ's death. And spirit baptism, in keeping with the formula of baptism, is in water into the body. Why is that important? Because the fact that through spirit baptism, we are baptized into the body of Christ, there is tremendous, rich insight that we forfeit if we don't understand what this verse is saying. This is not speaking of salvation. Some people say, well, that's the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and that is salvation. 
all in one. And you get it all when you get saved. But that contradicts the book of Acts where Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter uh, 19, where people believe. Paul came in Acts chapter 19 and he asked him, did you receive the Spirit since you believed? If, we, if we're baptized in the Spirit at salvation, why would Paul even ask that question? I think Paul was a pretty solid theologian. And so there, there's that view. Then there's another view that many Pentecostals buy into that says, well, this is a separate baptism by the Spirit. You see, in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, well, in baptism in water, in John's baptism, John was the baptizer. In Christian baptism, it's a pastor, an elder, or another believer will baptize you in water. But in the spirit baptism, Jesus is the baptizer. John is very clear about that. The Father sent the Son, but the Son sends the Spirit. And the Spirit sends you and I into the world to send people back to the Father. Be ye reconciled. And so Jesus is the baptizer. So they they look at this and because it seems as though this verse is speaking of salvation, they say, well, that must be a separate baptism, a baptism by the Spirit. And so they read it as, for you, by one Spirit, we are all baptized into one body. The problem with that is Scripture is very clear. Let every matter be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. And there is no other Scripture in all of the Word that speaks of a baptism by the Spirit. And if we understand the formula of baptism, then we understand how this works. That baptism is always in a substance into an experience that we've entered into by faith that is then activated. And we enter into a greater reality of that experience. And that is the purpose of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, let's look here. Baptism is a prophetic act which activates the spiritual reality already entered into by faith. Submission to baptism is an act of faith honored by God to release the spiritual reality already entered into by faith. Baptism in the Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. One of the primary results of this baptism is the activation of spiritual gifts in one's life. Let me say it again. One of the primary results of this baptism is the activation of spiritual gifts in one life. It is these gifts which enable us to function as a beneficial part of the body. This passage, this verse that is saying that we're baptized in the Spirit, He is the substance into which Jesus takes you and submerges you. You come up dripping, soaked with the Spirit of the living God. That is the picture. Matter of fact, the New Testament terminology is always a pouring out from above of the Spirit. There's two ways. There's two ways to be submerged. You can take a bath or take a shower. (laughs) The biblical terminology is literally we stand under the waterfall of God. The Holy Spirit outpouring. And we are filled to overflowing. It's the fullness of the Spirit. And we are endued with power from on high. And one of the primary purposes of this baptism in the Spirit is to activate spiritual gifts within you that will delineate your role, your function in the body of Christ. The context of this passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's all about the gifts of the Spirit. Now Paul is the New Testament author that carries this revelation of both spiritual gifts, more than any other New Testament 
author, and he also carries this revelation of uh, the body of Christ. The other, the other epistles, the other writers don't emphasize the body of Christ like Paul did. Not because they didn't believe in it, but it was Paul was the one that God gave the download to that, so that he could give this to the body of Christ. So we have this thing of gifts of the Spirit and the body of Christ. And if you begin to look at the passages that speak of the body of Christ, it's always in the context of gifts of the Spirit. And gifts of the Spirit are always taught on in the context of the body of Christ. Romans 12, where Paul speaks of the body. It's talking about the motivational gifts from the Father. Ephesians talks much about the body. And in chapter 4, we hear of the ministry gifts from the Son. So the Father gives us gifts so we can function in the body. The Son gives us gifts so we can function in the body. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we had these other category of spiritual gifts that are often called the charismatic or Pentecostal gifts. And the reason is that they are given to us by the Holy Spirit. And they are power gifts. You see, Jesus' gifts were authority gifts. Jesus said, all authority is given to me, therefore go. And he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These are governing gifts of authority to oversee the body of Christ, to oversee the church. But the gifts of the Spirit are power gifts. They are the ability to do with God what you couldn't do without Him. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, they're supernatural gifts. I went down to Atoma last night to the Atoma church because Andre was going to be down there, Apostle Andre. And so I went down to hear him, and I love that man. That man carries such authority. And he just, he just gets in the grill and just starts pushing things, and he began to call people out. And as he began to give people words, man, I just felt the authority of God hit the room. And uh, he, he operates in authority. There is a power gift, but there's an authority gift that that man walks in. And he's able to read the hearts of men because of the Spirit of God upon him. I remember Andre sharing with me, it was a couple years ago now, he was in a PTA meeting. Uh, his grandson was at, was at school, so he went there to meet the teacher for a PTA meeting. He watched a lady st stand up and walk out in the hallway. So you got to know Andre. He doesn't go out and introduce himself or anything. He just followed her out in the hallway, and he, he looks at her, and he said, You will not commit suicide. She starts weeping. He, t he prays her through deliverance. She gets saved, and she tells him she had a suicide note at home. She was going home to commit suicide. Thank God for a man filled with the Spirit. He was endued with power from on high. That's what comes to us in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But all three categories are in the context of the body of Christ. Not as much Ephesians 4, although it's dealt with, but especially Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Because the gift that you carry determines the organ that you are. We are a body. We're not a bucket of knuckles, okay? We each are a different member of the body. Some's an ear, some's an eye, some's a toe. There are no appendixes because you're all necessary, okay? We are the body of Christ. We all have a role to play. But the way that role is activated, especially this category, the supernatural giftings of the Holy Spirit are activated in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we miss that wonderful emphasis if we misinterpret this passage. 
One of the overlooked purposes of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is to slot you in your place in the body of Christ so you can function as a productive member of the body of Christ. There are unique things that God wants to strain through your unique personality, your unique history that he wants to bring to the body of Christ and release on them. There is a U-shaped hole that only you can fill. Don't try, to be, don't try to fill someone else's. You don't need someone else's job description. It's already taken. You need yours. And in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we step into that. Now, part of that, now we're, we're getting a little down the road here, but one of the major, another major facet of the baptism in the Holy Spirit that we often don't emphasize. Again, we as Pentecostals emphasize the empowerment for being a witness. And that's true. That's external ministry. There's also internal ministry for the body of Christ. And there's an internal manifestation of power to overcome the flesh. That comes in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 says, By the Spirit we put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. But all of this, all of this comes in the form of a baptism of love. When Jesus went down into the water and he came up, What was the final of the three components? He heard the Father's voice of affirmation. You are my son in whom I'm well pleased. I'm going to ask those that are going to be baptized, go ahead and just get prepared now, and I'm going to try to land this. The, uh, the, one of the primary applications of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a baptism of love. That's why Romans 5 says this. It's by the Spirit... The love of God is shed abroad in our heart. Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 8 that the spirit he caused to live within us causes us to say, Abba, Father. It's a proof of our sonship because it's the Father's validation of us and it causes us to begin to refer to him as Father. It's that Father's love. And that love is the love that casts out fear to be a witness. It's that love that motivates us to minister to others. And it's also that love that causes us to want to obey him and not grieve him and to fall into the flesh again. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. All of those facets of the baptism of the Holy Spirit seen in the New Testament really find their root, their taproot, in the love of God that comes on us in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to baptize some people in water this morning. Let me see if I have one more here. Among other things, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is an impartation of power, enabling us to function in our unique gifting, fulfilling our role in the body of Christ. Jesus went down in the water, but came up in the Spirit. We should believe for the same. And so as we baptize people in water this morning, we're going to believe the Spirit of God to come upon them and give them a fresh impartation. Because it's one prophetic act the death, burial, resurrection, and endowment with power from on high that takes place in water baptism. So guys, come on. Let's go ahead. Rick, Rick Arrowwood is going to be the one that's doing most of the baptism. And I see he wore a tie this morning. So we're, we're, uh, we're really upgrading our, our approach here. <laughs> He's trying to offset the fact that we do it in a cattle tank, you know. So I want to encourage you. If you've never been baptized in water, you need to do so. Jesus, 
It, it, this passage we just read, it wasn't Jesus, it was John speaking of Jesus. It says, with many other words, he preached the gospel. Part of the gospel is to go into all the world baptizing those that believe. Your baptism is a step of faith where you're agreeing with heaven. You're saying, God, I agree with your assessment of my life before you. I deserve death and I'm going to take it into this watery grave and I'm going to leave it behind. It's also an, a step of faith that we believe that we're going to leave that old man under the watery grave and come up in newness of life. And that it's more than mere symbolism. There's something that is activated in the spirit and that the spirit of God is going to come upon us. All right. Rick, are we here? Hello? 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 He's right outside. He's okay. Uh, I guess he's giving instructions. So let's pray. Father, Lord, we just thank you for this rich prophetic act that we're about to witness this morning. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would bless it. God, that you would Bear witness with the power of your spirit upon these that are going down into the water, Lord. Father, we ask that this would be a significant event in their life. And Lord, that they would come up out of the water. Lord, that in their heart, the heavens would open, the dove would come upon them. And Lord, that Father's love would be shed abroad in their hearts. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.